pray that you will help us to understand the depths of your love for us. And that as we worship today, you would understand our love for you. Thank you for being present here with us today. Be honored in our worship, and we pray this through Christ. Amen. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. I've got a cold too. I've had a couple times I've got a pan, she kind of smiles. Don't look at her. Jail and Heidi, you have brought these children whom God has given you to be dedicated to God and to his service. By this act, you signify your own faith in Jesus Christ and your desire that they receive the benefits of dedication to God and the prayers of the church and may early learn to know and follow the will of God and thus doing may live and die a Christian, attaining in the end of this earthly life to everlasting life in the kingdom of God. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your children early the fear of the Lord, to watch over their education that they may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct their mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct their feet to the sanctuary, to restrain them from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's gospel, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. What name have you given your child? Sadie Avalon. Sadie Avalon Miller, on behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. child? Corinna Finley. Corinna Finley Miller, on behalf of your parents and your family and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. As we mention every time we dedicate our children to God, this is a threefold covenant that we are a part of. God is the, the foundation around their lives and we know that he loves them and he is continually wooing them to himself. And parents and family have stated their, their commitment to their children to do everything in their power to help them know Christ and to follow Christ. And we as the Church of Christ also have an obligation to, uh, to support these children, to love them, to care for them, 
to be the presence of Christ in their lives in a corporate way. So I want to invite you to stand and affirm your commitment to these children and to this family. As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Sadie and Corinna grow up in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love them? Will you be a godly witness to them? And will you help them know and accept the grace of God in their lives? If so, answer, we will. Heavenly Father, we are thrilled to dedicate our children to you. And this morning we pray for Sadie and Corinna. We bring them to you knowing that you love them with an everlasting love. That you have given your life in Christ for their souls. And we pray, Father, that they will know the depths of your love for them. As they grow older... May they yearn to know you and to know of you and to give their lives to you. And we pray for your watchful care over both of them. We pray, Father, for J.L. and Heidi as parents. This great responsibility that you've given them and this great privilege that you've given them. We pray that you will help them to be the, the godly parents that they desire to be. That through their lives, their children would want to serve you. Give them strength in in all that they do and give them wisdom and and patience and, and all of the love that they need to be parents to their beloved children. Father, we pray for Silas as, as a big brother of Sadie and Corinna. And I pray that he would know your love in his life and that he would be a godly example to his sisters. And as they get older together... That they would see in him someone who knows you and loves you and follows you. And it would inspire them to do the same. Father, pour out your blessing on these children. Help them to know your love and grace in their lives every day. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. This is one of those things that makes your heart skip a beat. I'm so overwhelmed to see children laughing, smiling, and having beam on their face. This is a gift to be able to give a gift. I'm just overwhelmed by seeing these families and individuals who are praying with their kids. It's amazing what little items in a shoebox can do to change people's lives all across the world. And if they're the future leaders, then if they had a good foundation, then they'll be the best. Just remember, pray for these kids that get these boxes, that they'll come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God bless you, and have a Merry Christmas.
This is the last day to bring your shoeboxes, but you can bring them anytime throughout today. You can leave them on the, the foyer of the CE building. Uh, tomorrow morning, we'll be taking them to the distribution center. Thank you to everyone who has contributed. We have one week left in our prayer vigil, our three-week, 24-7 prayer vigil. And uh, we have one week left. You can sign up this morning or anytime online. Uh, you can call the church office. We'll sign up for you. And it's been exciting to see the hours continue to fill up and uh, to hear people's stories as they come to pray. And so I want to encourage you to take advantage of this last week of this uh, prayer vigil together. And next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, we will gather in the community room for a celebration as as a conclusion of our prayer vigil. And we'll be doing some special things, some little different things this year than we've done in the past. Uh, We'll also be doing uh, something significant to commemorate this year's prayer vigil. So we hope you'll plan to join us next Sunday night. There are a couple of inserts in your bulletin. One of them is about the food pantry. And as we've done for a number of years, uh, next Sunday is the Sunday of the year when we bring food and uh, try to uh, restock the shelves of the food pantry. Uh, there's a list here of items that uh, we could use. On the back of that, you'll notice there's, an, there's a notice from the, um, high, the college campus store uh, about bringing food there as well and getting some discounts on things you buy. And I wanted you to make you aware of that uh, also. And we appreciate all of your support in the past and your support uh, in this coming week as well. You see the insert about the Follow 12 Youth Convention and uh, ways that you can help with that. Uh, we also also want to, uh, to mention to you, I was thinking Tuesday as I was going to vote, that, uh, you know, just reminded of the privileges that we have in this country, uh, the, the, the freedom to, to vote and the freedom to talk freely about the candidates that we are for or against and our opinions about political things that in some countries you cannot do. And, and the freedom to gather for worship today, uh, I think it's probably a lot of those we tend to take for granted And I forget that some people don't have those same freedoms. And as I was thinking about that and I was thinking about today, there were a couple of of things that we today remember. A couple of groups of people. One is, uh, this is Veterans Day. And uh, I think it's significant for us to remember the people who have sacrificed for us to have the freedoms that we have. And um, not just the veterans who who, uh, put themselves, many of people, in in harm's way and and some who many have lost their lives... But not just the veterans, but also their families who, um, who waited and uh, agonized about their family members who were involved in the military. So, you know, we want to thank you and we want to honor you and today to remember you and to give thanks to God for the sacrifices that were made that allow us to enjoy the freedoms that we now have. This is also a day when churches around the world are remembering our brothers and sisters who don't have the freedoms that we have. This is a day when we are gathering to pray for the persecuted church and to remember that there are millions and millions of Christians in the world who do not have the privilege of freedom of worship. And so we want to pray for them as well today and to remember them and to ask God's grace upon each of them. This time we're going to ask the ushers to come and to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church. See the King of Glory coming on the 
the clouds with fire, the whole earth shakes, the whole earth shakes. I see his love and mercy washing over all our sin. The people sing, the people sing. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I see a generation rising up to take their place. The selfless faith, the selfless faith. I see a near revival stirring as we pray and sing. We're on our knees. We're on Spend time praying together. If you'd like to 
Use the altar rail as your place of prayer. Please join me. Eternal God, we give you thanks for who you are and for all that you've done. We sing your praises because you are good and loving and merciful. And through your son, Jesus Christ, you provided the way of salvation for us and for all people. So we come in worship and adoration, praise and thanksgiving. And we come interceding for people in need. Father, you see the pain in our hearts. You see the struggle in our minds and our bodies. You see the ways in which we hurt and disappoint each other. You see the self-centered behavior and our self-destructive choices. And we pray that you would heal us and forgive us. Father, we pray for all who are struggling to, uh, with the effects of the superstorm Sandy and from the recent snowstorm, and we pray that you will help each person in need to get what they need. And we pray that you will help those who are responding and working to be able to get more accomplished than they could have imagined. We pray today for the ministry of Operation Christmas Child. We ask that you'd use these simple gifts to reach children and their families and their communities for Christ. And May something in these boxes open eyes to your love. We pray, Father, for our president. And following this election, we pray that you will give to him wisdom as he, as he evaluates those who are, who are working with him. And as he leads our nation, we pray that you would give grace to him. And then in a nation that has been divided by politics, that through Christ we would be united in your love. We give you thanks today for all the freedoms that we enjoy and for everyone who has sacrificed for those freedoms. We are more privileged than we could imagine. For all who suffer from the sacrifices of war, we pray for healing and for your grace and peace upon each one. Father, we ask for your protection on our brothers and sisters who live in places of persecution. It's so easy to forget that many Christians in the world live with constant threats and limited freedoms to worship and with the reality of violence against them simply because they call you Lord. Don't let us forget them. And let them know that they are remembered by us and even more by you. Lord, as your children in this place, fill us with your Holy Spirit. In this last week of our prayer vigil, speak deeply into our souls. Transform us in the depths of our being. Cleanse us from sin. Free us from the guilt of our sin. Inspire us and equip us to live in faith and joy, in truth, in courage, and in love. We pray this to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
morning. It's become a bit of a tradition here at Houghton Wesleyan to combine our annual faith promise offering with our fall prayer vigil. It seems appropriate that as we spend time in prayer seeking God's direction, that we would do that for our individual commitments in this offering as well. For those of you that may not be familiar with the concept of faith promise giving, it means to make a commitment to give above and beyond our regular, normal giving as God provides the resources. Three years ago, we as a church made a decision to experiment with faith promise giving in our missions budget. We selected several areas to target and set a modest goal of just over $7,000. God provided more than triple the goal. Last year, we decided to extend the experiment. We prayerfully raised the goal with some fear and trepidation to $25,000. Again, God provided the goal and more. There seems to be a theme here. God provides. We pray, we hear, we obey, we trust. And whether it's financing the work of Wesleyan Native Ministries, training national leaders abroad, partnering with our youth to drill a well, or supporting our historical partnership in Sierra Leone, God provides. Last year, we decided as a congregation to set this year's Faith Promise Offering goal at $30,000. This money, again, is in addition to our regularly budgeted missions budget and targets very specific goals here in Houghton, in Allegheny County, across the country, and around the world. You can see the specific areas included on the screen in front of you this morning, but Just as you look down through, I won't read all of them, but interesting community service, our benevolent fund, and our our Houghton Wesleyan Church food pantry, both both items that make a huge and very specific impact right here at home in our own backyard in the surrounding communities. Wellsprings Ministry in Allegheny County. Jericho Road Ministries in the city of Buffalo and World Hope International Well Project. Some of you are aware, but we've got a group in the youth group that's been working for several years to try to raise the funds to drill a well in Africa. And this offering will help us to partner with our youth to bring that that dream to conclusion, all for a total of $30,000. Our plan is to introduce the goal today and have you begin asking God what your part of this goal should be. This might be a good topic to add to your time in the prayer room. We will pass out commitment cards next Sunday on the 18th, and we will collect them with our commitments on December 2nd. Remember, faith promise giving is not figuring out what you can afford to give. It is asking God in faith to provide resources the source of which you may not even know right now, with the promise to put that amount toward his work. We as a church want to faithfully represent God in our world at home and abroad. This offering 
helps us to do that. Thank you for your partnership. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 42. John 1, 19 through 42. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Please stand and join us as we sing.
How do you impact the world for Jesus? What do you say? What do you, what do you do? What does that even look like? In a world of people who desperately need Jesus, what is God expecting of us? I've asked myself that question many times throughout my life, and, and I wonder if maybe, maybe my story, or at least a little bit of my story, might help you understand that question. So I should introduce myself. I'm Andrew. I was born in a little village of Bethsaida on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a, it's a place that's famous for, well, not much of anything. It's kind of an obscure village. I don't sort of like Houghton. But, I, but we were raised in, in a good Hebrew family. And, and we, we went to the synagogue and, and we said our prayers and, and, and we memorized the Shema and, and, and we learned the Torah as much time as we had to do that. And our parents gave us a foundation for faith, but we were never quite sure what we ought to do about it. And I think that's why I was so intrigued when I heard about John the Baptizer. And that's why I walked 50 miles down into Judea to, to see him and, and to hear him and why I decided that this is a guy I wanted to spend some time with and follow. I mean, John was an intriguing guy. He, you know, he had this magnetic personality and, and he spoke the truth and, and, and he, he loved to challenge the religious leaders and that made all of us feel just a little bit better. And, and John was a man of great integrity. Now, you know, John was... He was a little different, a little quirky. He was kind of out there. You know, the hair, the, the, the clothes, the, the food he ate. Not exactly mainstream. But there was something about John that was so attractive to us. And we loved to sit and, and listen to him. And I can remember so many times of being challenged by the things he said. And John loved to talk about the Messiah. I'd heard about the Messiah. In fact, I'd heard a lot about the Messiah as a child. This one who would come and would restore the glory of Israel like in the days of King David. And, and, and John loved to talk about the Messiah. And actually, John's message was pretty simple. He really talked about two ideas. That people need to repent of their sin and be baptized as a sign of that repentance. And that the, the promised one, the Messiah, the one that Moses spoke about and David spoke about and the prophets spoke about, he was coming soon. And we heard that all the time. And one day, a guy showed up who seemed to change everything. 
Unfortunately, I wasn't there that day. I missed the whole thing. But the next day I was there and John was teaching and he stopped. And he looked up and he pointed his finger at a man. And he said, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I spoke of when I said, the one who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. And we all looked at each other and thought, we need to know more about this guy. And a friend of mine and I got up and we started following him. We were hoping not to be noticed right away because as excited as we were to find out who this guy was, we were also really intimidated. I mean, after all, we thought John might be the Messiah. And John kept telling us, he's not, he's not. And now he's telling us, this guy is. And that's intimidating in the face of the Messiah. So we were just sort of holding back. But this guy turned around and said, what do you want? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody that you're intimidated by speaks to you and you just can't get the words out? You know, you sort of stammer over yourself and you don't really know what to say. That's how we felt about meeting this guy. And finally I said... Rabbi, where do you live? I thought back at that and thought, man, what a stupid thing to say. What is, I couldn't have said, are you the Christ? Something deeply theological, something really spiritual. No, it's where do you live? But something about Jesus told me that was okay. I don't know, something in his eyes, maybe the smile in his mouth, the tone of his voice. But he didn't chastise me. He just said, well, come and see. And we looked at each other and said, okay. And we went home with him and we spent the whole afternoon talking and well into the night talking and listening. And when that conversation was over, when we walked out the door, we looked at each other and said, wow, this is it. And the only thing I wanted to do in that moment was to go find my brother. I wasn't sure exactly how my brother would respond. You know, sometimes... Sometimes it's easier to talk about those deep things of the spirit to a stranger than to the people who really know us. And I was a little bit uncertain about speaking to him, but all that was washed away when I saw the look on his face as I came running down the beach yelling, we found the Messiah, we found the Messiah. And I took Peter to Jesus. A few weeks later, Peter and I were sitting by the shore mending our nets. You see, we were fishermen. Actually, fishing is all in our family. It's, my father was a fisherman. My grandfather was a fisherman. It, it's, it's what we do. It, it, it's really kind of who we are. And you grow in a pl- up in a place like Bethsaida, you don't have a lot of, of choice about what you're going to be. You just naturally follow the family business. And so if, you're, if your family works with wood, then you know you're going to grow up and be a carpenter. And if your family's part of the Levitical line, you know you grew up and you're going to serve in the synagogue or the temple. And if your family works with nets and out in a boat, on the water, you're going to be a fisherman. And we were mending our nets when we heard a voice behind us and turned and it was Jesus. And he said, hey guys, come follow me. And we did. We left everything right there. And we didn't just leave our nets. We left our existence. We left our identity. We left everything about who we were. Lying on the shore in order to follow Jesus. It wasn't always 
was always easy following Jesus. I mean, he challenged us. And he said stuff to us that was confusing. I mean, a lot of times I'm thinking, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, Jesus. But I will never regret that decision. Something about Jesus changed me. And I think that's why I just want to spend the rest of my life introducing people to Jesus. I remember... I remember one time we were, we were out on, by the shore of the sea and in a desert kind of area. And Jesus said, let's stop here. And, and he began to teach. And, and soon people began to gather from all over. And they, they brought people for him to heal. And, and they were listening to him teach about the kingdom. And we were so enthralled with Jesus that we didn't even realize how much of the day had passed. And then we began to hear babies crying and toddlers getting restless and, and murmuring in the crowd about missing lunch and being hungry for supper. And we looked up and realized, oh man, it's late in the afternoon and nobody's had anything to eat. And there was a large crowd that had gathered there and we all, the 12 of us disciples, looked at each other and said, we got to get rid of these people. Send them home. And we said to Jesus, send them home. And I thought to myself, I don't think Jesus is going to buy that one. And he didn't. But I never suspected he would look at us and say, you guys give them something to eat. What are we going to give them to eat? We have nothing. And Jesus said, give them something to eat. So we're talking with each other. And I I remembered earlier in the day, I had met a little boy who seemed to be by himself. And I noticed, I remembered he had a little sack lunch. This isn't going to mean anything to these people, all these people. But I went and I found him. And I said, I said to him, Daniel, I said, would you like to meet Jesus? Oh, man, yeah. He's like, yeah. I said, well, I'll take you to meet Jesus, but I have a feeling he might want your lunch. (laughs) I don't know, but I think maybe he might. Would you be willing to give him your lunch? And he opened up the bag, and I saw in there a couple of little fish, about five rolls. He looks at me like, I don't know. I said, you might not get it back. He said, okay. So I took him by the hand and I led him to Jesus. And the most interesting thing happened. Jesus knelt down right in front of this little boy. I don't know, he was probably seven, eight years old. Got right down on his knees and looked him in the eye. And and I said to him, Jesus, this is Daniel. And Jesus said, Daniel, it is so nice to meet you. I'm so glad that you're here today. The kid couldn't say anything, you know, he was just, but his eyes were this big. And I said, Daniel has a little lunch and he wants to give it to you. And the kid just kind of held it out to Jesus. He didn't say a word the whole time, you know, he was just stunned. And Jesus thanked him and he hugged him. And for the next couple of hours, that little boy watched Jesus feed, I don't know, Eight, ten, twelve thousand people with that little lunch. I always wished I'd kept in touch with that little boy. But I have a feeling that you grew up to be a man who was always giving whatever he had to Jesus.
Let me just tell you one other story. We didn't know it at the time. It was the last week of Jesus' life. It was a strange, strange things were happening, we could tell. For a long time, Jesus didn't want to go near Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he says, okay, let's go to Jerusalem. We were a little surprised. In fact, we tried to, tried to talk him out of it because we knew everybody was looking for him. The religious leaders were looking, trying to take, kill him. But he said, we're going to Jerusalem. And I figured we just kind of sneak into town, you know, maybe surreptitiously meet with a few people and then get out of town. But no, Jesus has other plans. He rides into town on a donkey with a whole bunch of people cheering, laying palm branches on the road. I'm thinking, I think they're going to know you're here. And then he goes into the temple and he thrashes the money changers in the temple who are, who are set up in the court of the Gentiles. And he's ranting on about how they're, they're preventing the Gentiles from being able to pray And he tosses over all the tables. I'm thinking, man, we're in trouble now. And of course, as the week progressed, we were. But I think it was, I think it was Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday of that week. Jesus was teaching with people, always a crowd around him. I feel a tap on my shoulder. I turn around and it's Philip, one of the other disciples. And he says to me, he pulls me aside. He says, Andrew, there's some people here from Greece. They want to meet Jesus. But they're not Jews. I don't think they're even people who know that much about God. But they want to meet Jesus. What do you think? You know, all of, all of us disciples, we all sort of grasp different things that Jesus taught. And we, we sort of missed a lot of things that Jesus taught. But one of the things that, that seemed to come to me about Jesus was that he, he never would turn anybody away. He was always willing to talk to anyone. And, he was, and there was never a time when he wouldn't talk to someone. And it didn't matter if they were Jews or Gentiles or Samaritans or whatever. And I was pretty sure Jesus would want to see them. And so we took them over to Jesus and I introduced them. And after their conversation, Jesus began to talk about his death. And his resurrection and the kingdom. You know, I've pondered a lot about my life. And I realize that I'm a lot different from my brother Peter. I mean, I've always known that. Peter's loud and boisterous and quiet, reserved. Jesus is, uh, Peter's impetuous, you know, he'll do anything in the spur of the moment. I'm a planner. I, I like to have things well in hand before I act. And Peter is the face of the party. He's the life of the party. He, he's the one who's, who everyone is laughing at and, and engaging in. And I'm always the one who's just sort of subtly in the background. And I used to worry about that. Because I realize, because I've, I've never written the life of Christ, and I probably won't. And, and, and I've, I've never preached to thousands of people, and I probably won't. And I'll probably never lead a church like Peter and Paul. And I don't think that's me. And I used to think, what am I got to give to the kingdom? What can I possibly do for Jesus? And then one day, the realization came to me that my calling is to introduce people to Jesus. 
And I realized I don't have to to do all those magnificent things. And in fact, I realized most people aren't going to do the kinds of things that Peter and Paul do. Most people are kind of more like me. And Jesus is just asking me to be willing to be sensitive about introducing people to him. Helping people understand who he is. Who he really is. That he's good and loving. That he's gracious and generous to a fault. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. I really see myself kind of as a bridge. I mean, like there's two pictures on the back wall there. These bridges. That you take two things that are separate and, and you make a way for them to connect. And I've realized that my role as a bridge is not from people to Jesus as much as it is from Jesus to people. Because for people who really don't know who Jesus is, what they, I don't think they need to hear, you need to trust Jesus. I think they need to know that Jesus is trustworthy. And they need to know that Jesus is good and loves them and just simply wants to fill their lives with joy as he filled mine. I wonder if maybe you're kind of like me. As you think about your life, maybe you'll never be a Peter or a Paul. But maybe you'll be an Andrew. And I suspect that as the years go by, people probably aren't going to remember me. I doubt if people are going to think that much about me. But if you ever do think about me, I hope that you remember that you remember that Andrew was a disciple who introduced people to Jesus. Who was a bridge between people and Jesus. And that there was a, a sensitivity in the way he dealt with people, in relationships that caused people to see Jesus a little bit more for who he truly is. That's what I want from my life. What do you want for yours?
please stand and sing with us. Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Every
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.